Hi guys, welcome back to the Miss Findependent Podcast. Today's episode is a great conversation with award-winning lawyer, fierce advocate, and educator, Jessica Wu. Jessica is a lecturer at the Lincoln Alexander School of Law at Ryerson University in Toronto. She teaches foundational Canadian law, family law, and business and contract law to future lawyers, paralegals, and law clerks, and she's taught at a plethora of institutions. She's also an experienced barrister and seasoned solicitor. She's worked with the Department of Justice Canada, the Women's Legal Education and Action Fund, and the Ontario Ministry of the Attorney General. She's litigated and prosecuted matters before the Superior Court of Justice, the Superior Court of Justice Unified Family Court, and the Ontario Court of Justice. And she's also presented at the Ontario Court of Appeal. I hope you enjoy this conversation where we get into the details of what a marriage contract, or what's commonly known as a prenuptial agreement, or prenup is, and why you might want to consider entering one. Without further ado, let's get into it. Jessica, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for hopping on and being on the Miss Independent podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I'm excited to get into our conversation. We're going to be talking all about prenups and marriage contracts. So why don't we start there? And if you can just break down briefly the basics of what a marriage contract is and why someone would want to consider implementing one. Sure. So a marriage contract is actually defined by the Family Law Act in Ontario. And the Family Law Act tells us that, you know, when two people who are married to each other or intend to marry each other can enter into an agreement in which they agree on their respective rights and obligations under the marriage or on separation or on the annulment or dissolution of the marriage or on death. And so in that marriage contract, the law tells us that we can talk about a variety of things. So a big one often for people relates to ownership in or division of property. We can also talk about support obligations. These relate to spousal support obligations and not child support obligations. But with respect to the children, a marriage contract can allow you to talk about the right to direct the education and moral training of your future children but not the right to decision-making responsibility or parenting time with respect to the children. And then finally, the law says, you know, any other matter in the settlement of your affairs, you can include in your marriage contract. Okay. So it sounds like you can be fairly creative with different clauses. especially Absolutely. How, yeah. Especially how you're treating your spouse. And then anything to do with child support can't be included in a marriage yes. contract. Yes, that's right. And, you know, sometimes people come to me with, you know, some fairly creative asks. You know, recently I had somebody say, it's really important to me that during my marriage, that my partner attend marriage counseling. And I thought, what a great idea to maintain your, your marriage. And oftentimes, you know, people have the misconception that a prenup is just for you know, the dissolution of your marriage, what happens, you know, in the unfortunate event that you separate. But in fact, you know, you can include into a prenup too what it is that you hope to achieve during your marriage. I love that spin on the situation because I think it paints a prenup in such a positive light where it's a plan of action and kind of what you're working on building together. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I want to touch on a little bit is 
what you can include in terms of your partner's wishes if, if somebody was to pass away. I know that there's a will that we can incorporate as well, but can you speak a little bit on that piece and how if a partner does die and you have a prenup, how their wishes are taken into account? Yeah, absolutely. So the law tells us, and, and that's a really great question because another aspect of the prenup that often surprises people is that a prenup can speak to what happens on the death of one of the partners. And so, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. A prenup is not meant to replace a will. And, you know, I, I would recommend that everybody have a will, but a prenup can certainly speak to and validate what you've already included in your will. Okay. So there's, there's definitely a lot of different benefits here, just based on some of the, the topics that we're touching on. One thing that I heard recently, I think it was in a TikTok, but it was somebody talking about the Ontario court as well, saying that if you don't have a prenup, the Ontario court will make one for you. And there's a standard set of rules that they're going to apply to everybody. Mm-hmm. What, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's on, it's on TikTok. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, the things that we hear and see on TikTok aren't necessarily true. And, you know, I will say as well, the laws around prenups and marriage contracts vary, you know, province by province and definitely, you know, between Canada and the U.S. And sometimes I find, you know, when I hear about um, information relating to prenups, they really pertain to even, you know, a specific state in America that may not apply to us in Ontario or Canada. So it's it's really important to consult with a lawyer in your own jurisdiction to find out, you know, whether you're, what you're seeing on TikTok applies to you. What I often say to people is that, did you know that really there's already a prenup that's been written for you? And the government essentially has laws that are in place. And um, if you don't have a prenup, then should your marriage fall apart, then those laws will dictate what will happen. And so right now, you know, in the prenup that the, the, the government has written for you, it says when parties marry, that each spouse automatically becomes entitled to an equal share of the profits. When a marriage dissolves, or if one party dies, then each party becomes entitled to one half of the value of the property that is accumulated in the marriage. The law also says the matrimonial home is, you know, a a special piece of property. And one person may bring the matrimonial home into the relationship and into the marriage, but that person does not get credit for doing so. And spousal support depends on the length of your marriage and whether children are involved, but ultimately, you know, while there are these guidelines, the courts currently have the ultimate discretion in determining the amount and the duration of spousal support. And so if people are not choosing to enter into a prenup, then essentially they are deciding to agree to the prenup that the government has already written for them. So ultimately, if you want to split things in a different way or consider anything apart from that 50-50 split, 
then this is something that would be right for you. But that's something that I actually want to dive into a little bit. So mm-hmm. let's talk about scenarios or situations where somebody might want to consider getting a prenup in their partnership. Yeah, absolutely. So a big one is is that you know people simply do not agree with the prenup that the government has written for them. And they say, you know, we envision something different and it may relate to a business that they own or a home, right, that they're bringing into the relationship. And they may say, look, these are assets that I worked really hard for and I contributed 100% to. And I would like, should we separate for a different treatment to occur? You know, that's not one of this equal split. Another reason why people will get a prenup is if one party has more assets or has a higher income than the other. The family, and this is becoming, I'm seeing more and more in my practice, quite a common situation where families want to provide a gift to one of the partners to purchase the matrimonial home. But, you know, they say, we're providing you with a gift for the home that you're going to live in, but we would like you to enter into a prenup just in case, right? So that if you split, then, you know, the $150,000 that we're putting it down as a down payment will be returned to us. Another reason why people would enter into a prenup is if they're expecting a really significant inheritance. And they may, for example, use that inheritance to purchase a matrimonial home. Sometimes both parties have really significant assets. This is often, you know, sort of a classic example that we see in the media, right? With Kim K and Kanye, for example, where, you know, they have multiple properties, multiple businesses. And when Kim K and Kanye separated, they didn't have to go to the courts and wasn't public uh, what the separation of their assets look like and what their spousal support payments looked like. And that's because they had a prenup. Sometimes one party has significant debts. And this is less common, but it does happen where they'll come to me and they'll say, I really love my partner, but my partner is coming into our relationship and our marriage with you know, $100,000 of student debt. And, and that really worries me. Another reason why people consider a prenup is if one party is going to stay at home during the marriage and they're forgoing a career because, you know, they're contributing to the home in a different way. They're raising the family and they're taking care of the home. Sometimes people want a prenup because they're entering a second relationship or they have children from a previous relationship. And ultimately, some people get a prenup because they really want to avoid a really expensive legal case. And many years can be spent in court. And, you know, they'll often share with me stories of their parents who went through a messy divorce or their best friend who went through or continues to go through a messy divorce. And they say to me, I really don't want that to happen to me. And I really would like some certainty that should something go wrong in my marriage, that I'll know what to expect. So it sounds like there's a lot of different scenarios where somebody would want to consider looking into this and speaking to a legal professional like yourself to understand Mm -hmm. their unique situation. 
there's a ton in that that we can dive into. But (laughs) where where I want to start is to talk about the matrimonial home a little bit in detail. So first, it's completely understandable that you know, parents are gifting their children larger sums of money now to help with the down payment, just given the economic climate that we're in right now. Right. It's, yeah. it's I understand. It's very expensive in Toronto, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So can we define the matrimonial home just for anybody that isn't familiar with that term first? Sure. Yeah. So the matrimonial home is the home that you live in with your partner after you get married you can actually have more than one matrimonial home. So if you're a snowbird, for example, or you have a lake home up in Muskoka, you can spend, you know, half of the year in another property and half of the year in a city. And both of those properties could be considered your matrimonial home. Okay. That is a very interesting distinction. I didn't know that. But for anybody that wants to live a non-traditional life and split their time between two, two properties, it's good to know. When it comes to the matrimonial home, I know that we could be a little bit creative there because you said that that asset specifically can have special treatment. So can we look into some scenarios where if two people are coming together to buy a home together to live in, what kind of clauses or what can they include in a prenup that delineates how that would be split up in the case where they split up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So With respect to a matrimonial home, a prenup can definitely cover aspects of ownership and division. Now, what a prenup won't be able to talk about with respect to the matrimonial home is possession with respect to that home. And so with respect to possession, so let's talk about the things that you you can't include first. Get that out of the way. So we can't, for example, say in a prenup, that one spouse will leave the home if the parties separate or that the non-owing spouse will be asked to release the requirement that they give permission before the home is sold, transferred, rented, or mortgaged. And so those are the aspects of the matrimonial home that we won't be able to talk about in a prenup. But with respect to ownership and division, absolutely. So oftentimes, one partner would have contributed the entire down payment for that home. And so certainly, we can say in a prenup, $150,000 or $250,000 that Nika has put in for the down payment of this home will be returned to Nika should the parties separate. And then it's going to depend on how the two of you are contributing to that home. So perhaps with respect to mortgage payments, you're making a a different payment. So one party perhaps is contributing 60% and the other party is contributing 40%. And we can certainly speak to that upon separation as well to say the first $250,000 will go to Nika to account for the down payment that she paid. And then the remainder will be split if and when the home is sold on this 60% and 40% split. Quick question here, Jessica. Would the same Mm -hmm. apply for a cohabitation agreement? So let's say two people are living Mm -hmm. common law. One person is contributing more to housing. How how does the court take that into account? 
Yeah. So that's a really great question. And I do find that there are a lot of myths and misconceptions around cohabitation and common law and, you know, whether common law is or, or isn't the same as marriage. And I am finding though more and more that people are becoming more savvy and before they live together or quite shortly after they purchase a property together but are not married, they're coming to me and they're saying, we would really love a cohabitation agreement just in case to set out, you know, what will happen to this property that we've purchased together. And so absolutely, in some ways, a cohabitation agreement can account for property in very similar ways. And the law actually says to us that a cohabitation agreement upon the parties getting married will become a marriage contract. So it's kind of like getting a head start before actually legally getting married. That's right. Okay. I feel like a lot of people are delaying getting married just because of the costs that are associated with it and living common law. So this is a situation that would apply mm-hmm. for a, a lot of people as as their relationships flourish, you know, and they move in together. So definitely mm-hmm. good to know. But outside of the matrimonial home, mm-hmm. investment properties, I want to talk a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we can briefly touch on how they're treated sure. and if the same rule set would apply in terms of creativity to investment properties. <laughs> yes. So an investment property simply is an asset, right? So the more assets that you have, the more that it makes sense for, for you to want to protect in your relationship. And so, yes, we can be as creative and in fact, more creative because if you're not living in your investment property as your matrimonial home, then there are really no limits, right? As they are with respect to the matrimonial home for possession. And so, um, it, you know, the, the law currently says to us that any increase in value of that property will be shared between the parties. But if it's an investment property and if it's a property that you're bringing into the marriage and that you've contributed solely to, then it makes sense that you may want something different. It makes sense that you may want to say, look, I'm contributing all of the mortgage payments. I've contributed a down payment. And so therefore, you know, should we separate? I would like this property to be to remain mine and and not to be split. The appreciation of that property would still be split with your partner. It doesn't have to be. So and and that's the beauty of a prenup. With a prenup, we can say the appreciation of that property will not be split. Okay, that's definitely a common misconception. So I'm happy that you clarified that. Yeah, amazing. When it comes to investments, that's my bread and butter of what we talk about on the podcast. So a lot of women and people in general listening to this are going to be thinking about their investment accounts, their RSP accounts, their TFSA accounts. So how are those taken into consideration? Is it possible to say my investment accounts I would like to keep as my own and I would not like to share the value of those. Yes, absolutely. So investment accounts by their nature hopefully will increase in value over time. And certainly if you don't want your partner to share any increase in value of their investment accounts, we can put that into your prenup. Amazing. So there's so many different categories that we can touch on and include in this agreement. 
which is mm-hmm. definitely important for people to know when it comes to planning for their financial future. I think a lot of people get stuck in the negative stigma of a prenup in the sense that it is meant to protect the person in a relationship. But initially, you mentioned pointing it in a, in a more positive light or positioning it in a positive light where we're talking about how it helps the couple grow together. So mm-hmm. I love that there are so many different ways to approach it. And one situation is not going to work for everyone. That's why working mm-hmm. with professionals really helpful in understanding all these different causes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Nika, I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, from my experience, what I found is really the opposite. And we know that finances is the number one reason why couples are separating. And what I found to be an effect of drafting a prenup is that couples are able to have these really open, honest, and transparent conversations about finances when previously they may not have had those conversations. And that's because a really important part of the prenup is financial disclosure. And so both parties would fill out this form and they would say to the other, here's my income, here are my expenses, here are all my assets, right? Here's my investment accounts and my RRSPs and the homes that I own, but also here are my debts. And both parties would exchange that with each other. And then they would have a conversation about what would we like to happen to these assets and these liabilities? Should we separate? And I've really found that through the conversations that parties are having as a result of drafting the prenup, that it's really encouraged and made the relationship stronger because they've been encouraged to have these financial conversations when they otherwise may not have had them at all. I think that's amazing to have two people have that conversation before they're getting married. Because like you said, it's full disclosure. You get to see everything. Mm-hmm. All the cards right. are on the table. And <laughs> when you're heading into a marriage, that helps you build a strong foundation. That's right. Yeah. So I think that's super important. I have some episodes in the past where it's questions that a couple can can talk about on a date night just to understand their partner's financial habits and things like that. And I'm happy that you brought up debt because that is not the first thing that your partner is going to be willing to disclose. That's right. And that's right. Yeah. Including it in a prenup can really protect you from taking on your partner's debt. In the in the case of in the example that you gave with student debt, right? That could be hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially if they did a post grad. So I'm ha- yeah. I'm really happy that that we covered that. There's a couple of other instances that I do want to dive into a little bit. And I was thinking about my own situation with running a business, my partner, and I'm being very entrepreneurial. So I want to dive into how businesses are covered and where the creativity is in terms of approaching that and drafting that in a, in a prenup. Sure. So absolutely. I mean, you work really hard, you know, for, for those of us with an entrepreneurial spirit, you definitely think about what's going to happen to my business. And without a prenup, the, the same rules would apply. You know, you're bringing that to your marriage and your partner is entitled to share of, of the increase of that business. And so oftentimes as well with business owners who may be looking for investors in their business, they will come to me and they'll say, 
investors are not willing to invest in my business unless they know that I have a marriage contract in place because they want certainty and they want to know that should something happen in my relationship that my partner is not going to walk away with, you know, either half or, or a portion of my business. And so most definitely for, for clients of the business, they will say, I, I would really love a prenup to exclude my business from any division should we separate. And so what's mine is mine, essentially, and and will not be yours. Yes, it becomes a little bit more complicated if your partner is also your partner in business. In which case, <laughs> if it's a corporation, you may have a shotgun clause where it's very clearly defined that your partner has to buy your shares out. So they buy you out of the business. But if it's a sole proprietorship or a partnership, a different model, how is that approached? So as a business lawyer as well, you know, I would say it's really important that, you know, partners in business also have an agreement, a business agreement, a partnership agreement that sets out what should happen on, you know, the dissolution of, of the business, or if one person wants to step away from the business. Uh, but most certainly, it, you know, just like when we're talking about a will, a prenup can certainly add in, and reinforce what it is that we've included in your business contract to provide certainty, to, to provide certainty, to say, you know, here is what will happen to our business. Perhaps one party will walk away with a portion of it and perhaps we'll sell it. Perhaps one person, as you said, wants to buy the other person out. But most certainly a benefit of a prenup is to provide certainty as to what will happen to that business. When it comes to businesses, it's always a very good idea to have legal documentation in place that explains the rules of partnership and what happens where if the business were to fail and how the business should be treated. So it's always That's a good right. idea to have a plan. <laughs> Absolutely. And as your business grows, as, as you grow as a couple, things change in the relationship, right? You may acquire more assets, your investment accounts grow, you may open up new types of investment accounts that you didn't disclose in the initial drafting of the prenup. So I want to ask, how is that treated throughout the marriage? where your financial situation changes. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, we don't have this crystal ball and we're not able to know exactly what's going to happen for us, even in five years, 10 years. Certainly we can approach our assets to say, all of Nika's assets will be treated in this way. Or if there's a special treatment, for example, we can single out an asset and we can say, for this specific asset, here is the treatment. And, you know, if we're talking about speaking of your assets as a whole, then that way we're not naming any single one and we're able to also be forward-looking and capture any assets that you would acquire going forward. However, that's not to say that going forward, you would acquire property and you may want a specific treatment for that property. And so, you know, oftentimes we will include in a, a marriage contract a clause that says the parties will revisit this marriage contract, you know, let's say in three years or in five years. 
because you never know where life is going to take you. And what you want today may be very different than what you want three years from now. I would encourage that people think about that and to include that in their prenup as well. So the good thing is that it's not static. You can always go back and change it. You can add things to it and Mm -hmm. your prenup can evolve as your marriage evolves. Absolutely. I want to touch on spousal support a little bit as well, because that is something as, as more women come into the workforce, our salaries are changing. So you could be in a situation where you're earning more than your partner or your partner's earning more than you. So how do you recommend people approach spousal support? What factors should they consider? And how should that be reflected in their prenup? Okay. That's a really great question. You know, I'm really proud to see more and more women become these really high earners and earn a hundred percent more than their partners and have more room to grow even. And so when we're in a situation where there's a big difference in income, a big difference in that worth, or you know, one partner decides that they want to stay at home and raise a family. And in that case, they're forgoing a career. Those are, are, are classic examples of spousal support payments being made. Now, spousal support depends on the length of marriage and it, it depends on whether children are involved. I mentioned earlier that there are guidelines, there are spousal support guidelines that are referred to, um, but ultimately it is the decision of the courts if the parties can't agree on what the amount and the duration of spousal support will be. The benefit of a prenup is that you're able to define what you would like your spousal support payments to be with your partner. So we can get very creative and specific. We can say if the parties have been together, um, for example, up to five years, then one party will pay to the other a set amount every single month for up to two years. And the benefit there, of course, is that you're able to define the specific amount that you're going to pay but you also define the duration for which you have to pay. So we can say if the parties have been together for five to 10 years, then here are the spousal support payments that will be made to them. And the benefit there again is that it takes you out of the guideline amounts and it provides you with certainty as to you know, what you can expect with respect to spousal support. Sometimes parties will say, I'm not looking for spousal support at all, or I'm looking for spousal support only if we choose to have kids or only if one of us becomes disabled. And so again, you know, with respect to property, there really is a lot that we can capture in a prenup with respect to spousal support that can directly reflect your wishes. Do you say that spousal support is one of the main issues that's discussed if a couple was to split up and then go to court? Absolutely. Spousal support can definitely add a lot of time to a legal battle in court. And going to court, unfortunately, is is quite a long process now. 
you know, you could be up to court for between two to three years and going to trial is also extremely expensive. And so in terms of ROI, really a big benefit of having a prenup too is to say, look, here's our decision. And we want to avoid the really messy, expensive and lengthy process that we can encounter if we can't agree on spell and support payments after the fact. What would the average case look like? So if a case goes to litigation, what would that look like from a cost perspective? Oh my gosh. Well, every jurisdiction in terms of cost is slightly different, but in Ontario, like I mentioned, it could take an average of two to three years to finalize a, a family case. If we're going to trial, then uh, trial costs could be anywhere between $10,000 to $15,000 per day. Trials can take somewhere from two days to five days. And that doesn't include the, the time that parties spend before they even get to trial in order to try to settle the matter, to try to negotiate. Really, we're looking at somewhere between $30,000 to $50,000, if not more. And so going to court is unfortunately a, a really expensive process. And that doesn't even include, you know, the emotional costs, right, that are included in that. Um, it's really difficult emotionally on parties. And that also doesn't include the time, right? Time is also money. And, you know, when you're spending two to three years in, in court, you're never going to be able to get that back either, right? That's what I was thinking about from a resource standpoint, time being a non-renewable resource absolutely, energy, right? If two to three years that you're spending trying to resolve something that you could have addressed before you got married. Mm -hmm. So the ROI is definitely there. Mm -hmm. I, I'm somebody absolutely. that makes decisions based on numbers. So if you're the same, I mean, the case is, is pretty clear, but Jessica, I do want to ask, you're so knowledgeable when it comes to this and it seems like you spent a lot of time working in this field and you seem very passionate about this. So I want to ask what brought you into family law in the first place? Uh, that's a great question. I've been practicing law now for eight years and in me, family law is so rewarding because I really am able to see the difference that it makes for a client, the difference that it makes for their family, for their children. It really is an area of law that I feel very passionate about. I've spent a number of years in divorce and in assisting predominantly women, actually, when their marriage falls apart. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why um, I founded Prenup Club, and that's a division of my law firm, Jessica Lou Law. And that's because, like you mentioned, the ROI is there. But to me, too, from this emotional perspective, from the financial perspective, from a legal perspective, it makes a lot of sense to address all of these issues while you're happy, while you're in love, right? Rather than at the end, when it becomes a lot more difficult often to agree with your partner. One quote that really resonates with me that I live by it talks about living in tune with your purpose and doing something for the community and bringing that, that purpose and that passion to life. And it sounds like through Prenup Club, through the work that you do, 
it's it's rewarding because you're serving the community in a way that empowers them. Yeah. And to me, I I feel so passionate about helping people. And part of Prenup Club really for me is is an education piece. And it's helping people understand that, look, here's a legal instrument that you can use that really avoids so much heartache after the fact. And so Prenup Club was, was founded because it, I've had so many late night conversations with, with my friends who have lots of questions that I think a lot of your listeners have too, right? Questions like, you know, we're ready to move in together, but, but this is my home and, and I've purchased it. And so what happens now? Does my partner become my tenant? Is my partner entitled to, to half of, of my home? Questions like, isn't common law the same as being married or, you know, what will happen to my condo and, and my business when we're married? Prenup club is, is where uh, I can now confidently send my friends for, for legal advice about their love lives. And it's, it's backed by about eight years of award-winning expertise. Also feel really strongly that legal advice and legal services doesn't have to be stuffy or intimidating. Or, or challenging to navigate. And, it, you know, it, it really is too just driven by this mission that I have to, to support my clients wholeheartedly, you know, while they're taking this next big step in their relationship and helping them feel really prepared while they do so. Educating people, specifically women, when it comes to these complex topics is so, so important. So we're definitely guided by a similar mission in mm, that sense. I love that. And I love that you touched on some of those questions that the people come to you with, to come to Prenup Club with, because a lot of the conversations that I've had with friends or even listeners are very similar questions. Mm-hmm. What do I do when I move in with my partner? Do they become my tenant? Like that really resonates. <laughs> so I, I, I'm so grateful that something like that exists where you can educate and guide people to make appropriate decisions. So I want to ask if my listeners wanted to connect with you or find Prenup Club, where can they find you? Yes. So they can reach out to us at prenupclub.ca or jessicawulaw.com. And they can connect with us on Instagram too, Prenup Club or at jessicawulaw. Amazing. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You shared so many amazing resources and tips. And I, I love everything that we've covered. I'm so grateful to you for coming on. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you so much, Nika, for having me. This has been so fun and such a pleasure. What an amazing conversation. Jessica is such a remarkable person and she loves to give back. She's graciously offered to give all of you guys a free consultation with her. If you mention that you found her through me, Nika, or the Miss Independent Show. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Remember, you can submit questions for my Monday AMA sessions by DMing me on Instagram at Miss Independent. Ciao for now, my finnies. I'll see you on Monday.